Well, welcome everybody to our Q&A tonight. Greg and I are looking forward to chatting through your questions that have come up from the Being Human series and any other questions that come up as we're talking. So don't be afraid to put your questions in the chat. We would love to interact with you. Um, Greg, good to have you here tonight. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. Have you been enjoying the Being Human series? I thought Richard's talk on Sunday was amazing. So good. Yeah. 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 So good. Really like, got. that's the last time he's preaching in our church. That's... <laughs> You can't raise the bar that high. <laughs> that was so good. I was struck by this, just this one little phrase he said, we don't want to ever say someone is just a mum or just a mm. stay-at-home mum or just a stay-at-home dad. And I thought, oh, yeah. yes, great application. Yep. Yeah. Richard is brave as a lion. Yes. He's really insightful. He's like a scalpel in a lot of the things that he does, very yeah. measured, but he is brave as a lion. Yeah. And, um, you know, I loved that, that song. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, Jump on our YouTube chats, our mm. YouTube channel and check it out. Let's get into some questions, Greg. Actually, before we do that, why don't we pray? Yeah. Okay. God, please use this time. Please use it to encourage Greg and I and whoever else is watching to trust you more, to love your way and to understand your word when it comes to things like our humanity and our lives, our emotions, our sex lives, just all of that. We know that you have something to say for us. Um, you have truth for us. And so you yeah, help us to grow tonight together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Greg, first question. We're going to go in deep first. Here we go. Okay, we're going deep. I don't particularly like kids. Is that a problem? That's the question, not me. <laughs> I don't particularly like okay. kids. Is that a problem? I don't particularly like kids either, and I have four of them. <laughs> um, I think, in all seriousness, I think what I want to say is, if you're waiting to like something before you believe that it's good, then good luck. Um, uh I, on the one hand, I would want to say uh, our four children have been the most fun that I've ever had. Oh, wow. But also some of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are lots of things about lots of people that we don't necessarily like, but it doesn't stop them from being good. Mm. Um, like a blessing as well. I yeah, think that's exactly. the thing I've always thought. Yeah. Children are always a blessing from the Lord and I must yeah. have that mindset as I as I look at kids, even if this one right in front of me is really irritating me. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it comes back to a conversation that you and I had recently, and that is that God is less interested in our happiness than in our holiness. Mm. Um, and so what that person is really saying, what, what we might be tempted to say when we say I don't like kids is, they don't make me especially happy. Yes. But there are more important things in the world than our happiness. And that's our holiness. And children do a wonderful job of teaching us patience and yeah. kindness and other person-centeredness. Yeah. Um, and so uh, don't let the fact that you haven't met many children you like stop you from having children. Um, even, even that idea of sometimes people have said to me, I don't have a maternal or a paternal spirit. Yes. Um, I think... Again, what we're saying is it's not easy, but it's not meant to be easy. Mm. Uh, mm. Loving other people is actually hard. Mm. Um, and we can develop the values and the virtues that go with sacrificing our, children, uh, sacrificing our lives for children, mm. even when it's not easy. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, next question. Um, how many kids should we have if we're able? Four. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's right. Yeah, not five, not three, as one four. Five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, a couple of bits of advice I got. A friend of mine, um, when we had one or two, who was South African, not a Christian, uh, said, "Greg, 
children stuff up your life from the first one, so you might as well have a bunch. <laughs> um, and he wasn't a Christian. But it was interesting. His, the logic that he was using, again, was um, it's not easy, so don't make the decision based on what's easy. Mm. Um, I think that there are a bunch of reasons why you might decide we're going to stop here. Mm. Um, so for some people, the trauma of childbirth is so hard or, or the trauma of pregnancy. Mm. Um, you know, we have mutual friends who, you know, nine months of vomiting, you know, end up in hospital dehydrated. I can kind of understand why they, they don't go back. Um, I think what it would come down to is there are good reasons to have more children and good reasons to stop. And there are bad reasons to have more children and mm. bad reasons to stop. I think the number is less important than the reasons that we employ. Yeah, it's that whole, um, where is my heart on this? And yeah. have I let God inform my instincts? Or is this one of those, this is my decision kind of zone, mm. and I'm not letting God's principles speak into that at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was so um, I was so gently and humbly rebuked by Juanita Gray, mm. uh, Winnie, who comes to our morning congregation. Who they have five children, and she, she was she didn't mean to to kind of humble me, but we were having this conversation, and she said, "You know, my children have been one of the greatest blessings ever from the Lord, and I don't want to be too quick to tell God to stop blessing me." I love that. Yes, and I, thought, and I was like, "Wow." <laughs> Here am I whinging about yes. my kids. And it was, she understood that children are a blessing and she understood that um, there are, again, there are good and bad reasons to want to stop. Yeah, that's you right. Know? And, so, and yeah. it's, what I love about that phrase as well is saying, I'm seeing who has given me this child. Yeah. It's not my will that has given me this child. It's God's plan for me to have this child. Okay, yeah. I'm going to receive this gift. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think we want to be generous as we look around church oh, yeah, um, and say the number of people, the no, let's assume that the number of children this couple has was the right number and mm. the wise number. Mm. Um, and so I do think we want to cultivate that generosity of assumptions, mm. but we do want to interrogate our own heart. Yeah. What are my reasons for wanting more? Because I can want more because I just like small children. And I <laughs> like what that feels like. Or I don't um, want to leave this season. Yes. I'm scared to leave this season. This is who I am, so I'll yeah. just have more. Yeah. 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 So there are, there are kind of unhelpful reasons uh, for wanting more, and there are unhelpful reasons for wanting to stop. You know, yeah. children are expensive, and yeah. sometimes we don't like yeah. that season. That's right. Um, I think we just want to keep interrogating our hearts. One other thing that I found very helpful that has surprised me in its helpfulness is I think about that maybe this woman and or man, but generally I'm interacting with women, maybe this woman actually has had other children that she hasn't carried in her arms. Yeah. So I don't know how many pregnancies she might have had and whether she is actually the mother yeah. of four babies, but she only has two with her. And so I like to think, oh, I wonder what this wom woman's mothering experience has been rather than, oh, this is how many kids she's got. And that's very wise. Yeah, I try to yeah. just keep thinking, oh, I actually don't know her story. Um, yeah. And maybe she's a mother to more than th the ones that she has alive with her. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If one of the purposes of sex is to have kids and contraception can re reduce the importance of sex, as we talked about in yeah. the Being Human series, is actually contraception a bad thing? Yeah. And if it is, why? Um, yeah, so uh, let's go back to, to Genesis. Yeah. Um, I think what I'd say is that one of the purposes of marriage is to have kids. Yeah, rather than sex. Rather than just sex, yeah. yeah. Um, in that God moves from 
not just sex to having children, but the marriage. So in Genesis one twenty seven, God mm. creates mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he creates them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And mm. so it's not just that sex is tied, uh, that children are tied to sex, but children are tied to marriage. And the mm. same argument comes up in Malachi chapter 2. Why did God join them that <coughs> there might be godly offspring? Um, which means that I do think um, one of the unfortunate side effects of contraception for us has been that it's been easier to turn sex into a plaything, mm. namely something that I can use for my own ends, mm. um, just for my own pleasure and without any greater purpose behind it. It, it just it, it's enabled us to be selfish. Mm. Um, and I think that that's an unfortunate side effect. Does that mean that contraception is wrong? No, I think it means that it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, and that's the case with a lot of things in creation, isn't it? They're not necessarily wrong, but they are dangerous. Money is another one of those things. Mm. Um, Jesus warns us of the danger of money because of what it does to our heart in Matthew chapter 6. Mm. But he doesn't say, therefore, money is wrong. Good point, yeah. And so recognising the difference between something that's wrong and something that's dangerous. So what's then the difference between, say, abortion and contraception? Well, there's this clear argument against this clear command not to commit murder. That's our problem with abortion. We believe that life begins at conception. Mm. And so there is this clear command against it, mm. um, which might mean that we actually have questions about some forms of contraception. Mm. Um, but uh, the idea of preventing fertilisation, um, I don't think it's a long-term solution. Uh, I don't think... I don't think choosing to get married and choosing to never have children, I think that that's not what marriage was created for. Yeah, let's press into that. Wh yeah. What makes you say that? Yeah, because... it's becoming more and more yeah. popular for various reasons for people to say, oh no, we're married, but we're not, we're not going to have kids. Yeah, because um, marriage and procreation is so tightly tied together. Mm. Um, the purpose, so in, in, um, why, in Malachi 2, why did God unite them that there might be of godly yeah. offspring? What's the yeah. natural consequence of children in Genesis 1 that we might yeah. uh, procreate, fill the world? Yeah. Um, and so to enter into marriage with the intention of not fulfilling part of its purpose yeah. seems to me to be saying, I want the pleasure that this will bring me. I mm. want the companionship this will bring me, but I actually want to bend it to my will. Mm. Um, now, should we go into if we went into marriage and for whatever reasons God chooses not to bless us with children, mm. um, that's a different thing, isn't it? Very different. Um, I, yeah, I agree. And it shows us that part of the tragedy that God has actually wired us yeah. in marriage for children. That's why I still love it when you go to a, a wedding and people who pray pray that when they children come, yeah, welcome us. Yeah, one of the best phrases I've ever had spoken to me about this space, this issue is the idea of having a welcoming heart to children in your yeah. family, that you would welcome children however God brings them into your family mm. and that that family would change because children come into it. Yeah. And I just love that because if you can't welcome your own physical children, you'd be welcoming spiritual children or other people's spiritual children, children that might, uh, physical children that might become your own or family. And yeah, yeah. I just think it's, yeah, that, that's the attitude to have that actually this marriage is not just... Mm. to be bent to my will. I like that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, some questions coming in on Instagram. Thank you so much for asking your questions. Um, let's ask this question, Greg. I feel like God's plan for me isn't to have a partner or children. Uh, more time to devote to the Lord, I suppose. What do you think? 
I think that's wonderful because it actually mm. fits with um, the language of, say, 1 Corinthians 7. So yeah. I think it, it, it's always worth us going and just kind of having a look there. Mm. Um, yeah, that... Sorry. No, you didn't. I, yeah, as I was reading that question, I was thinking, I, I can identify with this, that sense of, oh, I, I can see God's purpose in not being married and not having yeah. children. Um, it's not... I perhaps don't feel like it's God's plan for me necessarily in terms of I don't have a sense of that, mm. but I know God's plan can be worked out in singleness. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... Yeah. Hmm. So the goodness of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7 really is tied to um, being able to be single-minded. So mm. in, in um, verse 34, 35, that sort of thing, mm. um, uh, where he says, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs... Mm. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. That is, marriage does, it doesn't stop you from being concerned about the Lord's affairs, but it gives you another loyalty, another mm. duty that you have to fulfill, both as husband or wife. And choosing to remain single just makes it easier to be single-minded yeah. and to be concerned about the Lord's affairs. In other words, building his kingdom. I think um, one of the things that I'd say here, though, is... Um, the decision to remain single is different to the decision to get married. Mm. That is, when you get married, you make the promise that this is not going to change. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this till death do us part. The decision to stay single is not a vow like that. Mm. And so it could be that in five years' time, uh, you say, no, actually, I'm probably more cut out for marriage. Yeah. And God has brought this person into my life. Um, and I wouldn't want the person to feel guilty about that. No. And I would also say in some of my conversations I'm having with women, I'm encouraging them to have a godly tension. So as much as I yeah. like love singleness and think this is a great way to serve Jesus undividedly, serve the Lord undividedly, I would never want to say, and because of that, I would never get married. It's you know, never yeah. something I'm going to do. Instead saying marriage is good, singleness is good. And so I live in this tension of both being good and recognizing that. And would, I think that would be what I'd want for anyone. Yeah. yeah, I think to revisit every few years, every five years, um, mm. and to ask again the questions, is this still helping me to love and serve Jesus? Am I yeah. still able to be godly in yeah. this? Um, and then to kind of recommit can yeah. be a helpful process. Yeah. Um, I kind of do it with my job yeah. in that I made the decision to go into full-time ministry, but it wasn't a vow mm. um, I didn't feel this enormous sense of call such that I would be disobedient. It was a way of serving Jesus that seemed to make sense of my personality and gifts. But it's pretty reasonable to think that at some point, either through age, illness or something else, mm. the better way to serve Jesus is by not doing it. And I think the same is true of singleness. Yep. It's not true of marriage. As soon no. as you get married, that's it. You're done. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think to revisit it every once in a while. Yeah, I love that. Uh, another question, how do people keep fighting this just a mum or just a dad culture in the world? How do we stop it from seeping into church culture? Um, Dave Moore has been really helpful in this and that mm. Dave, uh, Dave keeps coming back to and keeps pointing to, it's about your identity. Mm. Um, so I'm just a dad is a statement of identity just as much as um, I'm a lawyer yes. is a statement of identity. Um, and we have to just keep working really hard, don't we, that our identity is found in Christ. Mm. Um, what makes me treasured is that God treasures me. Mm. And what makes me important is that um, Jesus has died for me and I am part of his body. Mm. 
I, I think we spend our entire Christian lives learning to believe that. Um, <laughs> it's a discipline, isn't it, of yeah. continuing to trust God in, in, yeah. in believing that? Um, yep. And it, it's funny that I've, I've recently, uh, I, our generation is the, the last generation on Facebook, right? Uh, everyone else has left. Um, For Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were doing this through Twitter, but anyway. Um, <laughs> we did have a laugh about that earlier. <laughs> um, but I'm part of all of these Gen X groups on Facebook. And it's amazing how many people, their identity is tied up with the 1989, 1990. This is who I was back then. Wow. And they're constantly saying, I wish I was back then. Yeah. Um, because that was when they were the best version of themselves. Um, and that's a really tragic way to live, especially if, you know, if 1989 was your best year, it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, but there is, there's this real tragedy there that their identity is caught up with that particular moment in time or this job mm. or that they feel like they're less because I'm just a mum or just a dad. Um, so that's the first thing I think is to say that in Christ, that's where my identity is formed. But also God says that particular role of parent is actually a really noble role. Yes. Um, as celebrated in the scriptures to be a parent, God is a parent. Mm. And so there aren't many things in life where you can say, God and I share the same title. <laughs> you know, a lawyer <laughs> doesn't get to say that, although the, the Holy Spirit is an advocate. But um, there aren't many things where you can go, God and I share this title. Uh, as a father, you get to share that. As a parent, you get to share that. Um, and so I find my identity in Christ, but recognise this is a celebrated role. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think as you're talking as well, it makes me realise, as I ponder applying this, it's that we get better as a community of saying who we are as Christians before we say who we are in worldly terms. Yeah. So you're meeting someone at church for the first time, do you say, what do you do? Um, you probably, that's natural social communication. Yeah. But you might say, what are you doing? What do, how do you spend your time during the week? Which is Richard's stuff from his talk on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But then you might say, and how did you become a Christian? And move to, to the thing that actually you want to be talking about, which is identity in Christ yeah, and right. knowledge of him. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're always being encouraged to value sex as part of a Christian marriage. Um, as a community, how do we address problems that couples might face with sexual function particularly, so not sexual mm. immorality, but sexual function, it can be very difficult to know how to get help if there's issues such as dysfunction, waning desire, um, yeah, medical issues around sex. What would you say to that, Greg? Um, I think partly it's to normalise it. So um, one of the things that I said in the, the talk that I did on sex is um, there is no such thing as a trouble-free sex mm. life, mm. whether you're single or married. Um, getting married doesn't fix the problem, certainly. Um, and being single doesn't mean that sex is not a problem for you either. Mm. Living in this world is actually really hard. This is one of those areas, though, where what we're being told is that sex should always work and sex should always be delightful. Mm. Um, and sex should always be easy and spontaneous and result in mutual climax. And because mm. that's what the world wants to present. Sex should always be illicit mm. uh, and dangerous. Um, 
And it's interesting, we, for Midyear Conference, we looked at Song of Songs, and one of the things about Song of Songs is it also, it explores the goodness of sex, but it also explores the brokenness of sex, and that yeah. they're disappointed with what's happening in sex there, and mm. there's actually a picture of violence at some point that um, the Bible mm. does, and the book of Proverbs is the same, the Bible does present, present to us, in a broken world, everything is broken, including sex. Mm. Once we recognise that, um, it means that we can then say, so if our sex life is broken, that's normal. Mm. Um, what we're hoping for is not the perfect sex life because that's not um, realistic, but we are hoping to redeem something here yeah. and to make it better. We can potentially make it better than it is. Mm. Um, and so yeah, I'd, I'd kind of hope that um, as a community, just as we've gotten better at acknowledging that, say, something like mental health, we don't expect everyone to be well mentally anymore. Mm. We expect, we've made it normal. Yeah. Um, the thing about sex, though, is there is a rightly private nature to yes, it. Yes, yes. It is exclusive yeah. in its experience, and so it should be, there's a really yeah. protected, I feel protective of people's privacy there. Yeah, and so... There is a rightness to keeping the number of people that you talk about it, um, talk to about it small, because there is a private nature. So it's funny in that um, I don't think I have ever in a talk talked about Emma and I's sex life because I want to be protective of Emma's privacy. Mm. Um, mm. Both of us are actually mm. in, in this together. Um, but having said that, if there are one or two people uh, who it's safe to talk to, that you've both agreed to talk to, mm. we do want to widen that circle to just what's happening between the two of us mm. um, so that we do actually normalise mm. questions about this. I had a yeah. wonderful word of encouragement as well from a married sister when I was just talking and asking her, what would you advise in when I'm pastoring women who are married? And she said, a good question you can ask is, have you shared this with your husband and have you yeah. listened to your husband on what he thinks about this and really trying to encourage couple communication? Mm. And I just thought that was, it was such a word of wisdom to, to me many years ago and thankful for it. And yeah. bringing, inviting conversation between a husband and a wife or the wife to talk gently with her husband was so lovely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yep. Okay, keep your questions coming in. We have, and I think this is a very interesting one, Greg. Here we go. How do Christians understand and face loneliness? Yeah, why do you think it's interesting? Well, I think it's a really boring no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. <laughs> well, what I think is we often will talk about it's not right for a man to be alone. You know, mm. you it's not right for him to be alone in Genesis. Yeah. And we talk about marriage as being this wonderful intimacy and a special relationship. We talk mm. about Christian community, but then the experience of single people, but not only single people. Some people are desperately lonely in church or they're desperately lonely in their marriage. Yeah. And their experience is, I don't have someone who I can speak about this with. Mm. And that has come up more over the years than I thought it would. Yeah, yeah. And, and this sense of, I am deeply saddened by my experience of relationships. Yeah. Is part of it that we expect too much of relationships mm. um, and we I don't want to say that this is the entire answer 
But I wonder if we expect of human relationships something that we've forgotten how to get from God. Mm. So I go into marriage um, expecting this person to fulfill all of my emotional needs or I, I'm hoping that my friendships will fill all of my human needs. Mm. Um, but we don't really expect our relationship with God to be as relationally fulfilling yeah. or even pursue it. Yeah. Um, the, the verse that pumped, popped into my head as you were talking is that um, the idea of God being the God of comfort and the God of compassion. Yeah. And he comforts us with, the, we can comfort others with the comfort we've received from him. And I look at that and I think, oh, we should have an anticipation of a sp- God's spiritual comfort of us. Yeah. And that doesn't just have to be through someone being with us. It could be mm. reading the scriptures and being reminded of truth about God or something like that. Like, um, that This is something I've wondered. Tell me what you think about it. I'm just testing it out like we're really wrestling this right now. That um, actually God can meet someone in a dark and lonely place with his truth. He mm. indwells them with his spirit. He gives them his, you know, the word. And so when someone is feeling lonely, I would hope that part of their journey of loneliness would be, God, I'm really lonely and talking to God and mm. asking for comfort and looking for comfort in the scriptures. Yep. Yeah. Would, yeah. Would that be what you're saying? Is that kind of what you're... Yeah. When, you know, so when Paul talks and he says, I pray that you being rooted, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep mm. is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. I wonder if we've kind of lost a sense of knowing what that means. Um, yes, interesting. That even if I am abandoned here on earth, I'm not abandoned by my father. And I just wonder if we've maybe kind of gone, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a relationship with God, but, you know, I can't see him. Yeah. It's kind of distant. I really look for it in my relationship with my friends mm. uh, or my spouse. Um, this is going to sound really terrible. I came to a conclusion a while ago. On earth, when it comes down to it, you are fundamentally alone. Because <laughs> um, no one ever really understands you perfectly. No and one no can. One, yeah. You, you ultimately, and you know, you face things together. When, Emma, when I had the tumour last year, Emma and I were really close and tightly together. But in the end, I was alone. Mm. Um, Emma could never understand it perfectly. Mm. And then we went back to normal life and, you know. Mm. um, And so no human being in any relationship is ever going to cross that bridge Mm. of loneliness. Mm. Only God can do that. Mm. And I wonder if we need to relearn the skill of um, maybe what the Puritans would have called, you know, communing with God, being able to really talk to him in prayer, meditate on his word, really read his word and have a sense of God is with me in this. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean that we won't feel loneliness, but I wonder if this actually takes away the bite yes. of it. Because um, just as we are all fundamentally alone, none of us are alone if we're in Christ. Yeah. And then it's that, that is the ultimate comfort for the times when in your experience of being alone, you are truly uncared for 
Mm. And that, that might be part of your experience of, of loneliness as well, that, you know, you describe a moment where you were absolutely cared for by your wife, but there mm. can be times where people in the Christian community would yearn for that kind of care yeah. and that's the trigger of their loneliness. Yep. And so we would say, that's not good. And also at the same time, we want to deal with that. We want to help you and support you and love you mm. as a family member of God's, you know, God's family. But also here's some truths about God. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That human relationship is only ever meant to be, um, it's only ever meant to come alongside our relationship with our heavenly yeah. father in Christ. Um, mm. which means that if it's only ever a secondary thing, I can lose it and still not have lost the thing that is my deepest relational bond. Mm. Um, and I, I don't want to turn it into the primary one. It's a bit like marriage, you know, that marriage on earth is wonderful, but it's not my primary marriage and it won't be my eternal one, which means that if I happen to lose it, I have not lost marriage. Mm. I still have it. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's true of all human relationships. They're only ever secondary to the one we have with our creator and father. And so even if I lost all of them, I still haven't lost relationship. Mm. I'll still feel the bite mm. of losing them. It's not that I just consign them and go, oh, they're irrelevant. Mm. But I haven't lost relationship. I still have the primary one, the first one, the most precious one and the deepest one. Mm. I, I think I'm only just starting to think more into this because I'm much more relationally aligned mm. this way. Mm. Um, I'm only just starting to learn this idea of God needs to be more my all in all mm. and I need to be more satisfied in him and work harder at knowing him. Mm. I agree. Keep your questions coming in. If you've got a question, why not type it out? We'd love to inter um, interact with it. Isn't celibacy really harmful, Greg? Aren't we supposed to have sex? <laughs> I think the best answer I've ever had was P Patricia Rukun, you know, the sexologist. Yeah. <laughs> this, she's, what, in her 70s now. She's a old Sri Lankan woman. And she and I were speaking at Sydney Uni um, in this massive tent full of university students. And we were doing a talk on sex uh, where I'd done the theology. She was answering questions. And it, this was this perfect moment where she said, you know, I'm a doctor. And I have seen people die of all sorts of things. I've seen people die of cancer. I've seen them die of old age. I've seen them die of heart attack. I've seen them die of starvation. I've seen them die. But, you know, I've never seen someone die from a lack of sex. <laughs> and the tent just erupted. <laughs> people were cheering. Um, oh, so great it was it was just this beautiful answer where what she did was puncture this mm. naturally held thing that if I don't have sex, I'll burst. <laughs> Something will I'll blow a fuffle valve if I don't have sex. And she's like, no. It's all <laughs> Sorry, I just got responsible. <laughs> um, what was yes. the word we used recently? I can't remember. It came up in a talk at the Mission Minor Talks. But anyway, um, sex is a good gift, but it's not necessary to life. Mm. And if our Lord Jesus Christ managed to live 32, 33 years and live a perfectly fulfilled human life, what that tells you is... We don't want to turn a good gift into a necessity for existence. Mm. Um, yeah. Alrighty. Thank you for this question uh, from the Instagram platform. Jesus was a perfectly complete human without ever having sex, but Jesus experienced deep intimacy in the Trinity. Mm. Humans often crave intimacy beyond friendship. What should that look like for someone who is not married, who is single? Yeah, I think this is probably what we were wrestling with, wasn't it? That mm. there is a full array of friendship. Uh, of relationships there is friendship there's um 
there's the even closer unity and fellowship that we have in Christ mm. uh, with each other. So church is our family and it's yeah. meant to have some of those family things. We also, um, for a lot of us, we're born into that wider birth family that includes yeah. parents and grandparents and cousins and all of those things were actually created for but all of them are just a mirror of the relationship we're meant to have with our creator, where mm. I am his child mm. with his spirit. Mm. Um, and um, I, I, yeah, I think we want to keep longing for what does the deepening of that relationship looks like? Because that's got to be where the truest satisfaction is found. Mm. And it feels like there are previous generations of Christians who have understood this, but we almost don't even have language for it anymore. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking, how would I explain that? That would be hard. Yeah. Mm. Um, but Paul's language of knowing, uh, he, he prays something similar in Ephesians 1 for them. Um, where is it in Ephesians 1? Um, I keep asking, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Mm. Um, and know in the language of, of the Bible isn't just know about. Yeah. It's the relational knowledge mm. um, that he actually prays that God by his spirit is going to enable us to know him better. Mm. Like I say, we almost don't even have the language for that now. Um, but I do kind of want to be the 80-year-old um, who has walked closely with Jesus for, for you know, 65 yeah. years of my life and knows him mm. and has the sense of his comfort, like you were yeah. saying, um, and can see his work in my life mm. and that idea that I'm not alone. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got a funny story about that. I was one day visiting a church and... Um, was speaking with a woman after the church event I was there for. And this lady would have been well into her, her 80s. Yeah. And I said, um, what's it like for you to trust in Jesus? What's your life like? Somehow it came up. And she said, Joe, I just have a love affair with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> but then she went on to describe exactly what you're just, you were just trying to flesh out. This, yeah. this picture of a woman who absolutely adored God. And she talked about how she lived alone as a widow for 15 years mm. and she couldn't really get out of her house. And her children could visit sometimes, but not they were busy. And she spent her days getting into the scripture, praying a lot, and she loved it. Mm. She was just absolutely, like you could see it, the, the description of a love affair with Jesus, she really was yeah. in adoration of God all the yeah. time. And so... And I wonder if we maybe... I can imagine someone sitting there and going, yeah, but it's never going to be as close as a husband or a wife. Except, and I get that, there is something about looking into the eyes of someone. There is something about physical um, closeness. Um, but um, I will never have Emma's spirit living inside me. Mm. And I will never have the clarity of understanding his, her words the way I have the clarity of understanding God's mind in Scripture. Mm. It's not as if this is a second-rate relationship. Mm. We have God's Spirit inside us. We have been adopted as His children and we have His perfect Word mm. that perfectly expresses His mind. Mm. Um, 
this is actually the closest relationship that I can have. Mm. Um, I wonder if we just don't pursue it very hard. Mm. We settle for a much more superficial relationship. Um, mm. Instead of really digging into his word and also dwelling on what it means and dwelling on thinking what is God teaching me today, in not just in his word, but in my experience, how is he disciplining me as a child? Mm. This is something that you actually talk about a lot where you'll say, I think God is teaching me about this at the moment. Mm. Um, and there's just a naturalness to your language about as you mm. do that, where you're looking at your life and the issues you're facing and you're not just saying, I'm finding it easy or hard or enjoyable. You're saying, God is with me in this and he's mm. teaching me something. What mm. is he trying to teach me? Mm. Mm. That's what we're talking about, I think. And yeah. I wonder if we've, we're not very good at that. Mm. Um, yeah. oh, we could keep talking about this for a while, but let's go to our next question from Instagram. How do you practically find the balance between desiring marriage and having a family and idolising it? So desiring yeah. marriage and then having a family and idolising it. How do you do it? <laughs> As a single person? Yeah. Um, I think I think for me, um, I'm blessed with the insight of watching many marriages, many very good marriages, strong marriages that are that beautifully model Christ in the church. Mm. And so when I see that, I look at it and I think that's really good, mm. and I enjoy looking at that. And I try to try to do that because sometimes. Actually, I don't desire marriage. Sometimes I look at it and I think, oh, that just looks like a whole lot of a slog, like hard work. Um, and so for me, cultivating that really appreciation for marriage is looking at how it points to Christ in the church and also mm. just looking at the joy it gives the people I love. Their marriages just are so enjoyable. Like they really are a blessing. Mm. Um, but I think as well, I appreciate... I appreciate watching friends who've worked at not idolising their own family by making sure they, they. Well, I actually think the way they do it is they live like the Christian church should have an impact on their family. It's that moment where a friend of mine said to me, oh, of course we'd have people over for dinner. The kids sometimes, you know, we need to be careful so that we're not always exhausting the kids. But sometimes they say they don't want people over and we say, too bad, this is part of the church family. And I love that because what they're doing is saying, our ch kids, we need to pass them and encourage them that this family is not the only family we're part of. Yeah, yeah. that's really helpful. Our kids love it when we have people over because the food is better. <laughs> the quality just <laughs> goes up. Like, no HelloFresh for you. Over, who's coming over this week? <laughs> we want... <laughs> Emma often has um, has women over for things and the children call them the ladies. <laughs> Are the ladies coming? Because they know there's dessert on <laughs> <laughs> Shall we linger? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do see their heads pop out. Um, I wonder, um, I, I mean, I think that's really helpful, isn't it? Seeing the goodness of it and also seeing the challenge of it. Mm. And I wonder if um, the, there's something really helpful about the language that's been used there of the difference between desiring it and idolizing it. Um, idolizing something is where I remove God as the giver yeah. from the picture and I make it the measure of everything. So that's what we do with money. Um, uh, I remove God as the giver of the money, which means mm. that he owns it still and it's just a gift from him. And I make it the measure of my happiness and it the thing that I pursue in and of mm. itself. Um, and Paul, when he's talking about money in Philippians 4, he does that great thing where he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. 
I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And you can see what Paul's doing there is he's saying, in all of my experiences, I'm going to bring God as the giver into this Mm. and God as the withholder into this, Mm. Um, which then means whether I'm married or single, whether my marriage is really easy and pleasurable or hard, God is the one who has given me this and I can keep trusting him in it. And so I wonder if the the shortest answer I'd have to that question is the difference between desiring something and idolizing it is recognizing that God is the the good God who either gives or withholds and he can be trusted in that. I think this is also a space where we have to be really thoughtful about repentance. So some things I've had to really check myself on or sisters in Christ talking to them about Mm. their desire for marriage is a really good indicator that marriage is becoming an idol, an idol is when you start categorizing someone as with you or against you according to their marital oh, status. Yes. They're with me because they're single. They're against me because they're married. And maybe this married woman can jump into the with me category if she shows a really deep understanding of the struggling uh, struggles I'm facing. But until she does that, she's against me and I will not be able to be with her because she triggers pain in me. And yeah. I look at that and I think, no, repent. That's yeah. just not how we are to look at a sister in Christ who's married yeah. or our sisters in Christ who are single because as soon as she thinks she gets married, your friend, she goes into the other category and that's not how to love someone. And so that's a good indicator yeah. that things have gotten, you need, need to deal with that, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's dividing the unity that Christ has that's given great, us. Yes, yeah, that's not, it. This person isn't that's in that camp. We're yeah. in the same family. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I mean, Paul uses that language, doesn't he, in, um, in Galatians 3 and in Colossians where he says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Greek. Mm. And he even says there's neither man nor woman. Yeah. We'd want to say there is neither single person nor married person. Fundamentally, as we stand before God, what we share in Christ yes. is far more powerful than anything that divides us. And yet, if I turn the world into us and them, mm. um, then I've actually started to divide what Christ has united. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one person who's modelled this really well to me in in remaining single for a long time, the way she modelled avoiding that kind of behaviour was really cultivating excellent married friends. And not only single friends, which is actually just easier because you're both free at the same time, Um, but but saying, no, my girlfriends who've gotten married and had children, they are so precious to me and I'm going to go out of my way to be their friend and their sister in Christ and to serve them. And for a little while, particularly in the little kids' years, that's going to be quite costly to me. Great, let's do it. And I've loved that model from her over the years. Yep, that's Mm. lovely, isn't it? Mm. Should we all be adopting orphans and fostering children whose parents are incapable of caring for them? I know it's not an option for many people, but how do we care for them then, given their value? So this is obviously springing out of Richard's talk on Sunday. If you haven't yet had a chance to watch it, jump on our YouTube channel, Hunter Bible Church YouTube channel, and watch Richard's great talk on children. Thoughts? Yeah, I think the the second question answers the first one, doesn't it? Mm. Should we all be adopting orphans and fostering children? If it's Um, not an option. Yeah, and then then the person says, I know it's not an option for many people. And so I wonder if um, recognising that um, for some people it's not an option, but would it be fair to say it is an option for more of us Mm. than we realise? Interesting. So. What makes you say that? I just think that, so Emma and I, our youngest child is now nine um, and our two elder, two oldest children are, um, you know, eldest is starting the HSC. Realistically, we probably have bandwidth. Mm. Um, and the person has really helpfully pointed out the enormous need 
Um, I wonder if that enormous need and the capacity that for good, the opportunity we have for good, should weigh on Emma and I now that we say, well, maybe we do have to be. Can we find it? Can mm. we adapt and adjust our lives? The thing, the fact is, we adjust our lives to the things we think are important. And so if we think that buying a house is important, we stop going out and having smashed avo. If we, <laughs> you know, if I, um, if I think my physical health is important, I will factor it in. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe we haven't thought these children are important mm. because we haven't tried, we haven't asked the question enough. Yeah. Having said that, I do think that there are loads of families who you just go, yeah, you haven't got that bandwidth. Children mm. are still small and young, mm. or you, um, you know, there, there's things like health and all sorts of things can come in. So I certainly wouldn't want to say every family should do it, but maybe more of us should be. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What about a single person? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny, and you know, uh, Richard talked about Anna mm. um, on the weekend. Um, I. We, we've kind of walked through with Anna and I'm just filled with admiration for her. Mm. And I think uh, I've watched her thoughtfulness, her godliness, mm. um, the care. I've seen the, this beautiful desire to love. Mm. Um, and I can imagine someone saying, uh, yes, but there isn't, uh, Anna would, would kind of be a foster mum there, but there isn't a foster father. If we're waiting for the perfect circumstance, then we will never do it. Anna is saying, I have the opportunity to love mm. and I'm going to take it up. And so I think it's, I think it's awesome. Mm. Yeah. One thing I've thought about, tell me what you think about this. One thing I've thought about when it comes to fostering and adoption, I don't think this is a very high risk situation, but perhaps more of a risk for a woman who's really yearned to be a mother for a long time and hasn't married mm. um, and therefore hasn't welcomed children into her life yet. The thing that she should be asking of herself when she enters this this discussion of adoption or fostering is, am I trusting that God said no at the time for me to have my own physical children? Mm. And am I looking to trust God in serving this way? Or am I actually in my heart saying, God, I'm going to get it my own way. I'm going to get kids this way because you didn't let me have kids the other way. So, but I don't actually see that as a problem. I've not really witnessed that, but maybe I'm even just would have that as a check for myself if I was ever thinking of fostering. Yeah. Is it the, I will have children at all costs? Yeah. That's a good summary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and we'd probably want to say, um, let's keep, keep trusting God and asking what he wants me to learn and explore the options that God has placed before yeah. us. That is, um, it could be that God's intended path to towards fostering and adoption is by denying us children naturally. And so this is the way God has led us to that. Um, I wonder if this would be a really tough question to ask, but whose need is paramount in in this situation? Is it the need I have in my heart for a child or is it the need of the child to have a parent? if what is overwhelming everything is my need to be fulfilled, then that might be slightly dangerous in any circumstance. I think the same would be true of marriage. Mm. Um, Am I getting married because I really need a partner Mm. um, or am I getting married because I really want to serve a partner? It will always be a mixture of both, Mm. but when one, the me need so dominates, then that would be a slightly dangerous situation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I imagine that the romance of that, 
the romance of the situation that we've poured into it would be punctured very quickly. Yeah. One uh, word of encouragement I had from a sister in Christ who had fostered a couple of children by the time we were talking about this. She said, what I would love people who, who know they aren't ready to foster or not able to foster children at the moment in the church would know. What I'd love for them to know is that, that when you do a meal roster for a newborn baby that you're welcoming into the church family, the foster children I'm bringing into our church family, I would love for you to see them as a meal roster opportunity, mm. but actually as well to recognize that we're gonna need meals again and again and again, because the reason this child is with me is harm. Mm. And so we need extra care because what you can't see and what we can't talk to you about because it's private is what has happened to this child. Yeah. And so to keep caring and to buy into, if you have a meal, give it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing and that mentality of what you can't see probably from the outside is that we're just going to need a bit of extra care because we're doing a lot of extra care. And I, I thought, so. oh, that was such a word of encouragement to me and a word of rebuke because yeah. I realised I wanted to care more and I hadn't. So, mm. yeah. That's really helpful. Mm. Yeah. Ah, thank you for more questions. Sam Hilton, loving it. Um, in the first talk, we talked about version 2.0 and how version 2.0 of us is becoming more like Christ. This can feel overwhelming. How does the Holy Spirit work for us in this space? Um. That's a great question. Mm. Um, I feel like uh, most of my Christian life has been a battle between God and I, which inevitably, of course, I'm going to lose. <laughs> Where so true. <laughs> God, has, God has plans and purposes for me as his child to remake me in the image, in the image of Christ. And I have a very cherished picture of the person I want to be. Mm. Uh, and in my case, because of the particular childhood I have, it's very detailed and it's very deeply held. And it's, mm. uh, for me, it's, um, it's, I've held onto it very tightly, this mm. picture of the person I want to be, which is different to the person Christ wants me to be. Um, what that means is, uh, speaking personally about it, for a lot of my adult life, I've wrestled with unhappiness. Mm. Um, the unhappiness that God hasn't given me what I wanted and over time, what I've realized is that happiness rarely comes because God gives you what you want. Because what I want is usually bad. And if God gave me mm. what I wanted, I would have ruined my life. Mm. Happiness comes when I learn to accept the goodness of what God gives me. Mm. Um, I can be happy. Mm. I just have to learn to be happy that God only ever gives good things. Mm. And so I think that there is this this wrestle that's been going on in my Christian life for 30 years now. Um, the thing is, what I've needed to learn to do is to say, God is, by his spirit, raising me as his child, mm. and he will make me more like Christ. I can either fight him every step of the way, mm. in which case it's going to be a really painful, long and difficult process of discipline, or I can do what Paul talks about in Colossians 3, I can embrace it. Yeah. I can put off the old self and put on the new self and learn to value the things um, that God gives me. It's, it comes back to that question you and I were talking about a while ago of, I don't think God is necessarily interested in giving us a happy marriage. Mm. He's interested in giving us the marriage that will make us more like Christ. And he will do that. It's up mm. to me whether or not I choose to be happy with it. <laughs> if I learn to value the marriage God's given me, I will end up with a happy marriage. Mm. Um, 
If I demand that God gives me the marriage that I think will make me happy, I won't end up with a happy marriage. Happiness comes with acceptance of God's gifts not, rather than God giving me what I want. Mm. Um, and I think for, for me at least, that tension around the me version two that I've had in my mind, God is too good to me to let me have that. Mm. I just have to keep trusting him in it. Mm. Funny, Sam and I had a conversation truth. and he said, I don't think that way at all. I've never had this version 2.0 of, I've never really thought about it. I was like, that's ah. because, Sam, you're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, next question. Here we go. Aren't we supposed to be looking after the environment more if we're God's image bearers? Why do non-Christians or people who aren't yet Christian, uh, people who would lo- love to see become Christians, why do they seem to be leading the environmental movement? They haven't always. Um, mm. And so often it's been... Uh, so the, the first generation of scientists, of people who became really interested in the world, were Christians. Mm. So um, this is where it's worth looking at the studies uh, and the history of science. You so often come across the Reverend Bill Bloggs who discovered you know, <laughs> this amazing thing about science. Foreign, foreign, yeah. 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 Um, because Christians believe in the goodness of creation and in the dignity of creation and in the value of it. Um, and so it's not as if Christians have ignored it, but I think we will always, we'll always be ambivalent about this. Um, so I, I would say uh, I am an environment, environmentalist. I have a degree in marine biology. I care passionately about the ocean, but the degree about which I care about eternity far outstrips it. Mm. Um, and so I think Christians will always look lukewarm to the world because we are just so much hotter about things that are eternal. Um, mm. If we are lukewarm, that is, if Christians do go, well, I don't particularly care, take it or leave it, I'd probably I'd want to say, well, we have been given a job in creation. Yes. We were given the task, not just of subduing the creation, but caring for it. Mm. Um, And so we shouldn't be lukewarm, Mm. but we'll always look lukewarm. Mm. Um, And I do think that that means we will never be the leaders of the environmental movement. And I wouldn't want to be a leader in the environmental movement because to be a leader of any movement requires your whole life. Mm. And I haven't got a whole life to give to the environmental movement. I've got some time and some energy Mm. and I'll do what I can. Mm. But... I'll never be able to be a leader in that. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that people f- uh, seem lukewarm, Christians seem lukewarm, but part of it is also that, that there's not the same fear? Um, sometimes yeah. I wonder if we mm. actually aren't afraid of where we're going. We know where we're going, this mm. beautiful new creation that God has yeah. for us. And so as we look at this creation being burned up, we say, okay, I can see you know, 2 Peter 3, I can see what that's going to look like a little bit. It's a pretty daunting idea. But part of my understanding of this creation is with great confidence in the next. Yeah, and so as right. I look at this one, I'm not, in the fear is not the same. Yeah. And so I, I actually think this could be a way we could share the gospel with people. And we could say, oh, actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to a new creation where mm. it would be a perfect creation. So I share your desire for perfection, but I don't think we're going to get it here. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I wonder, just thinking about that, one of the things that we can say is, um, I personally choose to do almost all of the same things that you do as an environmentalist. So I, mm. I compost, I recycle, I lower my carbon footprint, and yet 
I'm, I'll be happy the day the whole creation burns because the Whoa. new creation will come. Yeah. So to be able to say, um, I will, outwardly I have the credibility of I'm doing the things that you think are important, but none of my hope is in them. Mm. The one of the ways that Christians will lose credibility is if we say, oh, heaven is all that counts. Yes. Therefore, I don't do anything to look after, after creation. It's going to be burned up anyway, so I don't care. Yeah. That's not how we want to be speaking. And it's, it? it's not biblical and it's not historical Christianity as well. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're out of time, unfortunately. This has been lovely to chat, Greg, and we hope that uh, our audience watching on have found this encouraging as well. Why don't we pray? Our Lord and Father, we thank you so much for how um, you are growing each of us. Uh, you are growing us up into maturity, into our head who is Christ, and you're doing that um, through us as one family, um, united with one baptism and one Lord and one Saviour, one God and Father of all. You are our God. Please continue to inform us, um, work by your spirit to grow us, uh, work by your word to teach us and use us, each other, together to be growing together. For those of us who are feeling challenged tonight, help us to run to you for, in prayer, um, to run to you for comfort, just like um, Greg encouraged us earlier, to seek to know you better amidst our dark times. We pray this all trusting in you, Lord, um, and thankful for our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Let me encourage you to continue joining us for the Being Human series each Sunday at 10, 4.30 or 7. What we're going to be digging into, there are going to be some interesting topics, aren't there, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we've got emotions. This week. This, this week. Um, things like beauty and our online selves and a bunch of other topics. Uh, it's going to be a great series. So why not tune in on Sunday? We'd love to have you join us. Thanks, guys.